0: Welcome to this evening's uh, lecture, which is the latest in a series organized by the European Institute here at the LSE, uh, entitled, uh, uh, Appropriately Enough, Perspectives on uh, Europe. Now, our focus this evening is a subject of international and European uh, concern. How can we maintain high levels of employment in the context of technological change, increasing international competition, other structural changes. And, of course, we've seen in recent times a number, a variety of different kinds of uh, structural changes in our economies with a shift in terms of productive capacity, changes in the skills needed, and new ways of working. Each of these present major challenges in terms of our labor market policies. Of course, in the UK, in recent weeks, we've had announcements of the closure of some traditional steel plants in different parts of the country, and this has posed challenges to the government in terms of producing a policy to uh, manage the transition between uh, local regional economies based on a set of traditional industrial skills and how to develop those in a different, changed, more competitive international environment. The recent history of uh, Sweden, of course, provides us with an important uh, reference point in terms of dealing with labour market changes. Uh, It became one of the most uh, competitive economies in the world and in the period of the premiership of our speaker this evening, some 300,000 new jobs were uh, created. So our speaker is well-placed to address this agenda and to tell us of the Swedish uh, experience more generally. Uh, Frederick Reinfeldt was Prime Minister of Sweden from 2006 to 2014. He headed a four-party coalition government, and in doing so, he essentially reinvented the centre-right, reinvented the Moderates Party, And change the political landscape of uh, his country. We're very pleased to welcome him back because he has previously spoken at the LSC in 2008, if I remember uh, correctly. And uh, so it's a great pleasure to have him uh, speak to us this evening, as is the usual style. I'm going to invite him to speak for something like 40 minutes, uh, whatever uh, he uh, wishes. That would give us plenty of time for questions and answers uh, afterwards. As is normally the case with these public lectures, uh, the lecture will be available later as a podcast. And for people not of my generation who involve themselves in Twitter and tweets, uh, I'm told to tell you that the Twitter hashtag for tonight is hash LSE jobs, appropriately. And apparently we have something called a Twitter handle, and the Twitter handle is at LSEI uh, for the European uh, Institute. Uh, So we can follow the lecture and we respond to the lecture in all of these uh, different ways. We look forward to uh, the presentation, and as I say, we uh, look forward to the uh, possibility of the discussion uh, subsequently. So without further ado, can you please uh, join me in giving a warm welcome back Of the London School of Economics, for Frederick Weinfeld.
1: Thank you very much. I'm, I'm very glad to be here again. I was here last time with the then opposition leader, David Cameron. He's done rather well after that. And today I'm going to talk to you uh, about work and paid work and about why work has to pay. And I'm standing here because I'm absolutely passionate about work and because I'm convinced that work is much more than just a job. It gives people an identity and a connection to society, a sense of belonging, a feeling of being needed and an opportunity to provide for themselves through their own hard work work is actually the very foundation of our society it is the work of others that provides all those who do not work for whatever reason with well-being and a decent life in my homeland of Sweden there are those who says that the meaning of life is everything but work and work is just a necessary evil I would say that for the vast majority of people work is a good and desirable thing it develops us as people so that we grow with a sense of responsibility and are tested both individually and as a group at our workplaces for people who work words like summer leave and holiday really do mean something the nature of work has uh, is undergoing major change we do not work with the same things as our grandparents did and we are fortunate that is the case for us to develop and make things smarter it has been necessary for jobs to change and also to disappear economists use the words productivity to describe the refinement which the content of our work has undergone Measures to improve productivity growth are often the focus of economic debate. How we should invest in training and education and increase resources for research and development. How open competition helps us to drive productivity growth. How we should invest in traditional infrastructure and make high capacity mobile broadband more widely available. All this is vital for securing a country's competitiveness, growth, and ability to create highly skilled new jobs. But remarkably enough, the descriptions of the challenges we face often ends once the desired efforts to increase productivity have been presented. Is, I ask myself, a completely single-minded focus on productivity growth really the only answer? Our experience of increased productivity growth in Sweden shows that higher productivity growth leads to demands for higher wage increases. These wage increases then spread to other parts of the labor market. Increased productivity therefore leads to higher wages, but also to greater spending pressure within the publicly financed sector of the economy. Much of the desired increase in productivity is achieved by replacing expensive labor-intensive Uh, processes with automation computers and robots although digitization is bringing many new jobs and increased productivity is changing our working lives there is a risk of a strong growth in the number of people that is left on the outside this is particularly apparent in countries with fewer basic low-wage jobs for those who only pursue high productivity, it may even increase productivity growth if groups with lower skills levels and insufficient qualifications for many of the new jobs end up outside the labor market. The issue is more difficult to deal with, however. If those who are at the risk of being left outside become an increasing proportion of the population, well over a third of the working population. How will people manage who never work or have very little contact with working life? In this issue of The Economist, number 22 of this year, it provides a vivid description of how these new groups of outsiders may ultimately constitute large large sections of the male population. Shocking to the male part of a of the population, I think, they saw consequential risks for men who could not find work and who therefore also had difficulty fi- in finding a partner. What happens to men who end up outside life of work, social community, and family that many of us take for granted? I've traveled a lot in Sweden and I've seen the fear and the risk of this spilling over into anger. In younger men I consider work to be an important foundation for everyone if there is a risk of large sections of the population being without a job this represents a serious problem for society my conclusion is that we must complement our efforts to increase productivity by creating a framework for a work first initiative an initiative that will give hope to people who otherwise risk ending up on the outside. A Work First initiative to bring us together and in include everyone in our society. An initiative that is essential if we are to see and understand ourselves as being a whole society and a whole economy. The first aim of the Work First initiative is to get more people into work by removing the obstacles for large groups that are currently at risk of ending up outside the labor market. The second aim is to deal with the major demographic changes that results from a society where more people are living longer. It is said that perhaps half of the children born today may live to the age of 100. Although we are living longer, there appears to be little desire for longer working lives and that doesn't add up a few years ago in Sweden I suggested that those who want to and are able to should be allowed to continue working until they are 75 the reaction from many was one of startled anger the third aim is to increase the number of hours worked in the economy as a whole all work forms the basis Of greater tax revenues and the ability to support those groups who are not yet working to their full capacity or at all so a work first initiative must also encourage much work for everyone in all the ages of life in which we work and must be a factor in the decision we choose whether to work more or less in order to establish a work first initiative In economic policy, I would like to see a well-prepared framework that answers questions other than those most commonly asked in the economic debate. There would then not be a sole emphasis on investments that increase productivity growth, nor would there be demands for targeted budget stimuli, which are often described as the most effective way of saving existing jobs or providing the basis for the demand that is automatically assumed to create new jobs. My work first initiative is about approaching things from a different direction. For me, it is about affirming the abilities and capacity of everyone to do some kind of work. A work first initiative is about identifying all those who end up outside the labor market who work less than they would like to, or who with the right form of impetus could be encouraged to work more. My Work First initiative is about preparing Europe for the future. It has 12 elements. Firstly, identify those outside the labor market. One key reason why few countries have worked with a consistent Work First initiative is that the statistics we most often use do not tell us the whole truth. The most common method of describing those people who do not work is to quote a figure for the number of unemployed. The number of people who are of working age but yet do not work, however, is much higher than the number of those we choose to count as unemployed. It is unfortunately very easy to manipulate the measurement of unemployment. The most common way is to place people of working age in publicly financed schemes of varying, uh, varying quality, thereby removing them from the unemployed column. Unemployment is simply the proportion of the workforce that does not yet have a job. It therefore all depends, of course, of, on who is included and who is not included as part of the workforce. The true picture of those outside the labour market, I must stress, includes all those who are not even counted as part of the workforce. In Sweden, at the middle of the first decade of this century, we had more people on long-term sick leave and in early retirement than we counted as unemployed. Our illness rate was unusually high compared with other developed countries, without any medical explanation. The high illness figures included people on long-term sick leave who were not counted as being unemployed, though many of them still had some ability to work. Our unemployment figures did not truly reflect the total number of people who were not working. We were actually lying to ourselves. The first step of the work... first initiative is to investigate and analyze the overall figure for people outside the labor market how many people of working age are not working at all or are not working to their full capacity in a country such as Sweden where unemployment is often reported at a rate of around 8 percent the overall figure would then be a little bit over, the, over 20% for people outside the labor market. Second, work has to be worthwhile. Once you have a clear picture of all those who are outside the labor market, you can see whether it would be worth, worth it for them to work. Does the household income change for the better if those on low wages or those who only work occasionally are given a pay rise? I realized that broad groups of people who only had the opportunity to do low-paid work did not gain at all by going to work and in some cases even lost out by working. So we developed a targeted tax reduction scheme for income from employment and earned income tax credit with a particular focus on the lowest wages. This method has been used in several countries, including the United Kingdom, albeit with a slightly different implementation. Designed correctly, it creates the right impetus to work. Another way of achieving the same result is to dispense with charges that vary with income and instead move to flat rates for various forms of publicly financed welfare. The aim must be that for everyone, whatever their life situation, doing work makes them financially better off. Thirdly, tighten up the benefit systems. Those who do not work live off various publicly financed transfer payments. Throughout Europe, a lot of time has been devoted to insisting that the only alternative is for people to end up on the outside without a job the jobs are gone Pe- the people are redundant so it is said the size of the transfer payments they live off has to be balanced against the resources available for schools health care and care for the elderly most people consider it reasonable for people to be helped during an initial period without work using support from public finances it is important, however, that this does not turn into a permanent financing of people's existence outside the labor market. Nor is it a foregone conclusion that support for those who earn a little more must be financed with taxes. Nowadays, there are income protection insurance policies and opportunities for private agreements for large sections of the workforce which enable them to organize their own financial support in the event of unemployment in order to find the right balance it is important to make clear what the requirements are in terms of who qualifies for unemployment support it's also vital that the support is tapered off gradually and that there is a clearly defined threshold when the payments end this has a major Impact on how profitable it is to work the rules of sickness benefit also have a significant bearing on the development of those outside the labor market what begins as a short-term sick leave all too often ends with a person leaving the workforce the system must repeatedly ask the question not of how ill people feel but of what capacity for work they still possess. Everyone still has the ability to make a difference. It is often the rest of society that does not want to see this happen and which ultimately makes people believe that they are finished. People must be given support and rehabilitation to improve their capacity to work. Fourth, an able workforce. How likely is it that a person will be given a job by an employer? We usually call this employability and it is something that we actually can influence. Once you have identified the extent of the group outside the labor market and created the right driving forces for all work, it is important to build up people's employability. This is often a question of individual initiatives which may involve a healthier lifestyle with more exercise and a a better diet. It may involve rehabilitation and physiotherapy to improve physical capacity and mobility. For many, there are drug-related problems that require anti-addiction measures. For the vast majority of people, the most pressing need Is to complete or build on their studies this requires an education system that is open to people who wish to supplement their learning it is important that this is done with quality and close follow-up to ensure that results are achieved the most underestimated factor in terms of employability is actually gaining access to work employers require experience and ask themselves how an employee will manage socially and whether they have the ability to deliver results in the workplace. These are skills that have to be practiced. People must be able to test and develop their skills. Everything that provides people with an opportunity to find work should be encouraged. When I worked with these issues in Sweden, My government found that many had poor skills in terms of actually seeking a job. They were unable to properly present the skills and experience they had, and they lacked self-confidence ahead of meeting potential employers. Within the context of an active labor market policy, these are central skills that must be developed. Five, all jobs are needed. If everyone is to have the chance of a job then all kinds of jobs are needed the reason why cities often have better labor markets is not just that there are more vacancies but they also have greater variety people are different and they have different talents a greater variety of jobs means that more people will find a job when I describe the Work First initiative, some people wonder if all work is desirable regardless of rules and wages. And the answer is an emphatic no. There have to be rules and agreements governing working hours and conditions. Wages must be paid that reflect the level of costs in the economy and that they are possible to live off. It's important, however, to distinguish between wages and the employer's labor's cost. Wages do not need to be affected if cost-reducing measures are instead targeted at the employer. In Sweden, my government offered such large subsidies to employers to give jobs to people with lower employability that in the end, the employer hardly had any costs at all. And some even received a subsidy to take people on, while at the same time, the wages of the person given the job were unaffected and followed current collective bargaining agreements. My government also used the method in Sweden of subsidizing the use of more basic services, such as cleaning or babysitting. This legalized previously illegal work and broadened demand. As a result, many people got a new job, in particular those groups that otherwise had difficulty in entering the labor market. Six, extend the working life. Average life expectancy is increasing strongly in our part of the world. This development represents a great success for humanity. There is a risk, however, that the proportion of our life that we spend working is becoming smaller. This is a serious issue for our own well-being and also has socio-economic consequences. We must therefore allow our working life to be extended. It might even be 50 years of gainful employment for many. We have to demonstrate the benefits of gaining experience of work to our young people. We should encourage working at the same time as studying which is greatly affected by the level of income from gainful employment that is permitted in the Swedish system without affecting eligibility for government student loans. We should encourage students to increase their study pace so that they can enter the labour market sooner. This can be done using academic credit requirements for student financing as well as through various forms of bonuses. It is important, not least for women, that after starting a family there are still opportunities for gainful employment. Long-term parental leave reduces employability and means that predominantly women lose their foothold in the labor market. There should be quality childcare and preschool facilities available from an early stage in children's lives that enables both parents to carry out gainful employment while ensuring that the children are well looked after. Seven, encourage older people to continue working. The most important aspect of extending the working life relates to our ability to encourage older people to continue working. Our view of retirement age is greatly affected by a perception of human life that goes all the way back to the beginning of the previous century. There has been enormous development in the ability, capacity and willingness of people to work in the past hundred years. Despite this, many people instinctively consider an age of a few years after 60 to be the end of our working life. This is in spite of the fact that we may live to be 100 and that many people who are well over 70 still describe themselves as being fully fit for work. My government launched special initiatives for people over the age of 65 in Sweden. We also reduced employers' social contribution. As a result, the number of older people in the 65 to 74 age group who continue to work is now rapidly growing. Before our reforms, labor market participation was down at around 10% for this group, but it has now quickly increased to almost 18%. As more older people become a natural part of many workplaces, this not only changes older people's perception of what is possible, but it also alters society's perception what is desirable in many countries this debate begins with general retirement age proposals that are far too one-sided everyone is different and that is particularly true of the capacity for work of many of our older people it is about encouraging those who have the willingness and ability to go ahead There must be a clear financial incentive for older people as well as a convincing argument that work is beneficial for the health of older people. Eight, adjustment. Considering a working life that extends over 50 years and which can result in continuing to work up to the age of around 75 or even older naturally requires some adjustment. It is more challenging and more difficult than it first sounds. Many people choose a profession when they are young and then stick with it. Many do the same job year in, year out, despite often not being happy at work and no longer feeling that they are developing at all. This is made more difficult when the working life is extended, but also as a result of digitization and the impact of globalization on the labor market. We can already see the shortening of the life cycle of, uh, at different companies in various industries and the increasing pressure to change. The answer is all too often that companies pay off their employees uh, when, who then do not have the opportunity or are not encouraged to find new jobs. Society compounds this with its attitude of assuming that many people can be considered as finished around the age of 50. A work-first initiative must encourage adjustment. This must be made possible through changes of the education system to offer more mid-life education. It's important that the parties on the labor market also take This into account during wage negotiations and that a good deal of resources are set aside to help people individually to adjust. Many professions also need to be open up to the idea that people must be able to change a career path later in in life and should provide for suitable transitions for teachers and police to name just a couple of examples nine immigrant workers the population of the world is growing only in Europe which has the world's largest welfare provision the population increase is weaker if the birth rate is too low welfare provision and the demand for labor must be secured through good legal opportunities for people from other parts of the world to come here and work This system is already in place in some parts of the European Union. The Swedish labor market is open to citizens of all other member states. My government also introduced the same opportunities for people from other parts of the world. Thanks to this, large groups of highly qualified workers, as well as those with lesser qualifications, have found work in Sweden. Our employment is increasing and we have stronger growth than other comparable countries. As more people arrive from abroad and start work straight away, this makes it easier for society to see the value of the capacity for work in people from other cultures. Once settled in a new country, many immigrants establish connections on the labor market with many of their former countrymen from their old homeland, which helps more of them to find a work. Ten, work for asylum seekers and relatives of immigrants. The major difficulty for many countries, especially now, is that asylum seekers and relatives who arrive later find it hardest to enter the labor market. Many of them have suffered traumatic experiences and had their lives turned upside down. A work-first initiative must nevertheless make use of the capacity that still remains in these people and encourage them to work. The asylum process must be linked directly to driving forces to work. The impetus to work is particularly important in shaping the benefit systems for asylum seekers. 11, education and training for work. Education and training are consistently important for a modern work first initiative. It is often education and training that make you make us more employable. It's important that the labor market aspects of different study choices from form part of the discussion with young people and those in middle age. The prospects for employment following different study choices must be considered. Many people find that the popular choice does not lead to work and there is a risk of losing several years by having to retrain or look for work in a profession that they have not trained for. Twelve, and lastly, a second chance. For many people, life brings unwanted and unexpected trials. The lives of many are afflicted with grief and accidents. Lots of people suffer illness at various times in their life or have not conducted themselves as they should. In a society without a real work first initiative, everything that is not near perfect or without fault risks ending up on the outside. I myself have seen this happen too many times. Once things have started to go away, it is easy for them to continue on a downward spiral, despite the fact that in many cases the capacity and willingness to work is undiminished. I refuse to accept the loss of human ability in silence that we actually see. With a more forgiving social attitude and a better uh, vigilance to ensure that no one is left on the outside both public and private initiatives can be better at catching those who for whatever reason have ended up on the outside and giving them a second chance at work. Many private initiatives And socially oriented small companies are already taking on the major responsibility of giving people a second chance, but we need much more. These are the elements of my Work First initiative. They provide a framework that must be analyzed and put in place if we are to increase the supply of labor in our time. This is what I believe Europe is lacking. It is always the willingness of people to work, the supply of labor, that ultimately determines how many jobs there are. There is no set number of jobs for a country which cannot be increased. When the work first initiative is applied, more people are in work, the number of hours worked increases, few people are dependent on transfer payments and welfare provision is secured in the long term. I've learned to fight for my work first initiative, and this is really needed. Many people who live outside the labor market have given up hope of having a job and no longer believe in their own ability. They have organized their lives according to the transfer payments on offer. Trade unions and many others involved in the economic debate do not want to see competition for low productivity jobs for fear of growing low wage sector. They would rather accept in silence an approach that leaves people outside the labor market yet does not describe them as unemployed. Employers want highly productive labor at the lowest possible cost and they want to increase productivity many of those outside the labor market today are unemployable in the eyes of employers and the work first initiative is controversial because it places demands on us and because it challenges ingrained opinions the work first initiative is needed for many reasons it is needed because it makes everyone visible and is based on giving people credit for their own ability and willingness to use their own skills the work first initiative is needed because it ensures our welfare provision for future generations it is needed because it prepares us for changes in life expectancy and for the rapid changes that are taking place in large sections of the labor market today and definitely also in the future the work first initiative is needed because it ensures sustainable public finances, and a well-organized economy. That is perhaps the single most important demand that must be placed on every government, that is to create the good long-term living conditions in a country. It is only with a functioning Work First initiative that we can achieve a long-term sustainable world that is inclusive in a way that means everyone feels they have a place in society. Thank you for listening.
0: Well, thank you for that. Uh, You covered quite a lot of uh, ground there. I'm sure there's plenty of uh, topics for people to ask questions about. Can I, in in an endeavor to be topical... Uh, As a question which comes from u k politics today uh, the equivalence in the UK of your uh, work first initiative was the tax credit system introduced by the Tony Blair and Gordon Brown uh, governments yeah. today in Parliament, uh, the Cameron government may face defeat on the question that essentially the British government is saying that in order to reduce the costs of welfare, government should increase the minimum wage and reduce the tax credit system. Yeah. And we have implicitly and explicitly, therefore, British conservatives, uh, your political allies, uh, saying, why should the public budget subsidise the costs of uh, low wages offered by the private sector?
1: Um, well, first of all, I think it's, it's very important to point out that the earned income tax credit in, in Britain was introduced by Tony Blair. Um, the equivalent in the United States was done during the uh, President Bill Clinton's time in office, and it's been used by uh, governments both center-right and center-left, so I, I don't think you should say it's just on the one side and not on the other. Um, I understand, of course, that one difference between the government I led and the challenges for, for David Cameron is that I had a surplus and much stronger public finances, but he inherited a huge deficit in the UK economy. So, of course, what you see is that the more successful an earned income tax credit becomes, it actually hurts your public finances. Which, is, uh, which could be discussed. But forgive
0: me, in your presentation, you didn't refer to the economic cycle. No. This was an advocacy which was uh, at all stages in the economic cycle.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I believe that. But I think what, what they would refer to is that it is costly, I guess. And, and uh, again, you have to go down to each individual and ask yourself uh, does work pay for these individuals? And our experience was that uh, dramatically enough for a lot of people in my country, no. The answer was no. They had, had nothing to gain economically for increasing working hours, or take an extra job in the weekend or something like that. Uh, and if you do not construct these kind of earned income tax credits or if you reduce them too much, you will go back to the start of the problem again and get large part of your working uh, population to say, well... Work doesn't pay, and that's totally wrong kind of incentives. But then, then again, we should respect that Sweden is Sweden and UK is UK. So, I mean, they must uh, have their discussion and take their decisions here. Okay, diplomatically put. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: it is being recorded, of course. Mm. I will be called up afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, We now have the opportunity of opening the discussion to you in the audience. We have uh, LSE colleagues with microphones. I'm going to invite you to ask questions, please. I'm sure some of you would be interested in making a speech. Uh, I'm afraid time doesn't allow us to facilitate that on this particular occasion. Uh, So I'm going to ask you to simply identify who you are and uh, ask a question, and with our speaker's permission, if we take three at a time. Absolutely. Okay, so who would like to start with the questions, please? Can we take the lady at the back, please? If you just wait for the microphone.
2: Uh, Mr. Dedenfeld, uh, first of all, welcome. Thank you. And uh, my name is Tatjani Preifeld. I am a Master's Student in Human Rights. And as a Swedish citizen, I'm very proud that Sweden is revered and renowned for a dynamic labor market, for our equality, and for our solidarity However, we provide a much higher level of employment protection for permanent workers than for temporary ones. So how to ensure that temporary workers, employers, won't be marginalized?
0: Thank you very much. So, uh, could we take the gentleman towards the front in the white shirt? Uh, here, please.
3: Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm a programmer. I have a question on right. Uh, how would you suggest government to respond to the uh, call to save industry which are apparently affected by the dumping of cheap products from another continent? Would you recommend government to save those industries, even from the public sector, to make probably indefinite commitments? Thank you.
0: Thank you. Can we take a question? Uh, the lady here, please.
2: Hi, so I was interested in your point where you were talking about um, young people... Sorry, did
0: you just say who you are? Oh.
2: Sorry, I'm, I'm Rita and I'm a student of international relations in University of Westminster, sorry, from Finland. Um, so I was interested in your point about young um, unemployment because when I look at the employment rates, it's often higher amongst young people. And I... C- came across um, an article saying that we're the first generation to earn less than our parents, which means more and more young people today rely on funding from their parents. At the same time, we're also the generation that's enjoying mass um, education, and we're expecting to get the high-paid jobs. Um, How would you make the job market... um, Interesting, more like more interesting for these young people who are not working and enjoying the funding of their parents, and at the same time enjoying hard, um, high education that often leads into highly paid jobs. Thank you.
0: So, th- how would we make those who are not educated, highly those without parents to support them, enter the labour market?
2: Um, no, sorry, let me reform my question. So, my question is how to make the job market. Um, attractive for the young generation that is currently not working um, merely because of the reasons that they are looking for higher-paid jobs and they're not willing to work on low wages or potentially for free
1: yeah right well first of all the uh, first question and um, I'm highly responsible for introducing more flexible parts of the labor regulation in Sweden and it's it's always a discussion as you were pointing out should one be provided the same kind of protection as you would take for granted midlife then the employers tell us quite clearly then we will not employ young people because uh, they don't have the experience they don't have the um, competence to start with day one so that we are willing to extend the same kind of protection to them as people we have known and who has worked with us for 10 years or 15 years. So then we said, but what if we make it more flexible in the start, giving time limits, but also tell you not to use them in abuse? You could have a longer period with a young person, and they said, well, then we are more likely to employ a young person. And to qualify, you must follow up on this reform and ask yourself, is it getting more people young people, into the labor market. And I would say it does. But this is discussed in Sweden. But but my answer to you is that if you extend the same kind of protection to everyone, uh, you will find that more people will be regarded as unemployable. That's the lecture I learned in Sweden. Um, when it comes to this notion of dumping and saving industries, um, all through my political life, I've heard this call for saving jobs. Um, and I want to warn you that I, I don't think that is possible. I think a lot of taxpayers' money has been spent on schemes that is said to be saving jobs that is actually after a couple of years gone anyhow. Uh, we, we spent entirely 70s in Sweden, so-called saving jobs, um, that made a catastrophe of our budget And in the beginning of the 80s, jobs were gone anyhow, uh, because these were structural changes to our economy that we didn't see or didn't understand. And I think we have learned that lesson. Um, But you point out something very important, that the international atmosphere is not keen, not built on good competition that is open and fair. Um, Very often, this is particularly true to small countries like Sweden, small open economies, a lot of our, our companies say we want to be fair, we don't want to in, in, uh, go into corruption, but we meet a lot of challenges out there that is unfair, totally unfair. What do we do with this? So where is the rule of law on international markets? That's why I think it's so extremely important to have these uh, big trade agreements, like the TTIP, which is now discussed with the United States, and the TTP, you know, the one done in the Pacific region. Why? Because it actually gives regulations on how you should trade between countries so that we can do away with a lot of these corruptions that you are mentioning. I think that's a better way of of dealing with it. But you're absolutely right in pointing that this is a problem which is very tough. Absolutely. Then, well, Young people. Um, We have learned that, and you said high unemployment figures. Just to phrase from my speech, this is one of the toughest groups to actually who are unemployed and who are not. I think the figure for unemployed young people in Sweden is somewhere around 20%. But I want to point out that we start counting from the age of 15. At the age of 15, they 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 are in basic school. Why do we call them unemployed? Because they want to have a summer job. And if they don't get the summer job, we call people that are actually full-time students, we call them unemployed. So we have analyzed the figures of the unemployment and found that more than half of this unemployment for young persons are people who are actually full-time students. And I think this is typical manipulation that I mentioned to you that you need to learn more about. What is behind the figures? This is not saying that you are correct in that a lot of people, and this is absolutely true in many parts of Europe today, young people have great difficulties to come into the labor market. And then you ask, how can we make it more uh, attractive? And then you mean into the sense that the jobs they are paid are low paid and maybe quite tough. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why you need to go down to, to incentives. Um, incentivize even young people um, not make it easier for them to live out of different uh, subsidies. Uh, we have this notion of the nets, as you might know, that we find young people who are nor in employment, nor in education, nor in training. It's absolutely unclear what they are doing. We, maybe we should ask their parents. But But they are not doing anything that is building up employability. And we are very worried about the high figures on these nets. And we have them throughout the developed world. And we are trying to find them. It sounds as if we are sending security police on them. But uh, we we are trying to find them to incentivize them to come closer to the labor market. And you need to, to have very targeted schemes to do this. So you're absolutely pointing at... Um, uh, what, what is actually a, a, a huge problem and you need also for them the incentives that when they actually get a job they find that it has a good pay and that they feel that they can reshape their life through the work
0: Can I just go back to the gentleman's question about, uh, you said we can't save jobs, but your position seems to be that we can't save jobs but we should sub- <coughs> subsidise jobs
1: <laughs> Well, uh, that's that means what you what do you mean with the word subsidize we have had this discussion in Sweden I think that if you lower taxation on work that's for me it's not a subsidy that's a lower lowering of taxation Um, I think that uh, high taxation on work working hours uh, is actually pushing away a lot of the jobs that are coming in because uh, we have been able to subsidize, if you want to use that word, a lot of the production uh, works in, in industries or uh, construction uh, sector. But we have been very, uh, you know, uh, we, we have disliked this idea when we are coming to the private service sector. But what do we know of our economy? where are the jobs going and where are they coming and it's absolutely clear that the massive part of the jobs coming into the economy is the private sector jobs uh, in the service sector so therefore by lowering taxes which is uh, very um, on the margin creating big costs for employers we think that that could uh, produce more jobs so for me it's not a subsidy it's a way of using the tax system to create more jobs
0: okay uh, more questions? Um, okay. <laughs> hands are in the pla- Hands are quite distant from the microphones. Um, <laughs> there's someone at the front here. Uh, yes, the gentleman here. Thank
3: you. Thanks. Hi, my name's Tom. I work in a different university, but I'm surrounded usually by young people gaining high level credentials
0: you certainly out there at the LSE, yes. Yes,
3: exactly. And I dare say they'll be uh, well placed in the job hunt. But in the modern world, it seems to me that people who in the past could have gone to work and worked their way up inside a firm um, are confronted, if they're not of a certain, let's say, background, by the problem of not having credentials early in life, and effectively, the job bus passes them by. And I just wonder if you could speak to that, given the place we're in, because is the answer high-quality apprenticeships or some other thing? Because even for jobs that don't need qualifications, you see them quoted.
0: Okay, good, thank you. Could we take the gentleman in white here, please?
2: Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm a Swedish uh, citizen and currently completing a PhD down at UCL. And I would like to look a bit more towards the horizon and the level of automation uh, that is currently reaching the job market. We're hearing loads of studies where half the jobs will sort of disappear because of automation, Where even where highly motivated and highly educated people won't be able to find a job for, to, for no fault of their own. And some of the answers have included the notion of a basic income or I learn, yeah. And I was wondering to what extent that could be a solution to some of the problems discussed so far, if it even is a solution you would consider.
0: Thank you. One last question. The gentleman right at the very front.
2: Dr. <clears throat> Dr. Keith Postler, um, guest teacher at LSE, um, accounting and statistics. Um, how do you prevent um, a situation where employers um, create um, a working culture which um, involves a great deal of work over eight hours. Um, What is too much work and are employers exploiting this and how would one stop it?
1: Thank you. Um, Well not having credentials uh, is, as I pointed out the reality for large portions of the labour market uh, it's, it's very wrong to point out universities because these are the problem probably uh, the, the youngsters that will have the best future uh, but still a very high portion uh, every year is not uh, choosing university studies and is trying to make another pathway um, And that's why I say all jobs are needed, and I think all jobs are needed with adjustment so that we don't get stick to a job, um, but that we have adjustments in the economy. And in Sweden, a lot of this is done also by the social partners. We think that a lot of the adjustment should be done in talks with the social partners so that they... Um, when you are hit with a crisis or if you get this kind of competition we discussed they can come in at an early stage, and I've seen this happen, uh, go through individually the credentials of everyone with the kind of employability to make them move on to other parts of of the labor market. Um, You should remember that this has been especially tough in Sweden we have one of the lowest proportion of low-paid jobs in the developed world. I think Germany has low-paid job to an extent of maybe 20-22% of the labour market. Sweden is down to 2 Two. So remember that when we discuss unemployment in different countries, we nearly have no low-wage sector in Sweden, which makes it even tougher. Um, so absolutely, we have been talking about qualified apprenticeship uh, schemes, And we have, to be very honest, this is the one thing that I would like to see more in Sweden that we have not been able to deliver. Uh, I've seen the German, the Austrian, Swiss uh, system that are better. Um, And it's not, we, we, we can't get the employers and trade unions really to pick up. We have really introduced different measures. We have given them bonuses and a lot of resources directed to employers to take on apprenticeships. And it hasn't really worked. And we stand the risk exactly what you say. We will ha- get huge portions of young people left aside. So, needs more to be done. Uh, uh, automation. Yes, automation and, and uh, basic income. Well, um, I have a, a Green Party in Sweden that has introduced this idea that we should have a basic citizen salary. Therefore, indicating that I think it's a very stupid idea. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and with that, I mean that once you have um, established a, a citizen salary level, you will never get anyone to work below that level. And, and the problem is that if it is ongoing forever, I think you will just speed up um, the numbers people that will live their life through without working at all and I think that's a very very different and also very dangerous society compared to the one we live in today that's why I say it's healthier for people to work because the discussion I have with the Green Party is to say we are happy when we are not working and I say no we are happy when we are working but we need spare time as well so it's more into is it good or not to work for people Absolutely, in the past you could say, well, it was unhealthy, dangerous, people lost their lives. There are examples of that even in our time. But to my notion, people that live longer lives need to work. And therefore, uh, I I, um, would say no to this. I would also like to point out, because exactly as you said, we have these um, highly skilled Um, run through of our labor market, stating that as much as half of our jobs could be gone or altered in 20 years, half. But as we see now, there are actually more jobs, new jobs produced than the one we lose. We are now at a historic high proportion of numbers of jobs we have in the Swedish economy. So we are not at the end of development coming down to the last three jobs and then they're all gone. No. It, it's still increasing with the right incentives, but they are different. And that, that is the alteration. The adjustment is the tough thing. And exactly as you said, life cycles of companies, life cycles of jobs as they were are shortened all the time. And we still have the perception we take a decision at 15 and we stay to 65. That's, that is not sustainable. It will not work. So we need to make a change. Then the um, good question on how do we, and to be very honest, everywhere all around the world, all kind of regulations are misused by someone. (coughs) Absolutely. There are examples of employers who think it's a good idea for their employees to work all around the clock and never getting paid. And I would never advocate such a system. And I would like to find these employers and find them and uh, refuse them to stay on as employers. So everywhere you have people that are ready uh, to misuse other human beings. Yes, that is our world. That's why I say I will not accept uh, bad conditions. I want regulations on working hours. I want to have wage levels that reflect the Uh, level of costs in our society. And I'm I'm proud to say that that is actually true for the wages in Sweden. The wages given is possible to adjust to the costs of living in Sweden. That's what we should keep. I don't want the working poor. I don't want the people with three jobs and still end up poor and and, and uh, without a future. So it's a good point. And every regulation we have made, and we are strong on this in Sweden, yes, we will find it a lot of employees that do not respect them. But us—that—that that is sometimes criminal activities. That's not part of our labour market.
0: Thank you. Another round of uh, questions, please. Uh, the gentleman in the very centre, in the grey top.
3: Uh, yeah, Carl Allen. Um I'll disappoint you a bit and say that I'm a pensioner who has no intention <laughs> of working again. However,
0: (coughs) that said, um, in recognition of a longer working life, what should happen to help people go into second careers? So I, for instance, was fortunate. In my 40s, I used a bit of my savings and the company I was working for also gave me some funding to go and spend three years again studying for a second career. So... What should happen in terms of education, in terms of incentives
3: to help people change?
0: Okay, good, thank you. we we'll take the gentleman uh, there, please. Yes.
3: Yeah, hi. Um, my name is Sean, I'm an electrician. Um, just to pick up on your point about bad employers. Um,
0: Sorry, if we could ask the question. The bad imp- oh. Sorry? Formulate the question.
3: Yeah, it's about employers, bad employers. Well, Asia is full of bad employers and all our goods is coming into the UK. So why isn't the the UK doing something about it? And why why can't we find lots of goods in the UK that is made across Europe? We can't find many goods that's made across Europe. Isn't that what the European Union is all about?
0: Okay, good, thanks. Um, The gentleman at the very back.
3: Hi, um, uh, my name is Dr. from the University of Sussex. Uh, thank you very much for the talk. My question is, uh, now with the due to the crisis, there's a huge wave of very well-qualified people from the south of Europe to the north of Europe. So what would your advice be based on your experience for um, the South European governments in order for them to retain or to be able to retain their very well-qualified uh, workforce, including doctors, academics, and so on and so forth? Thank you.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, I respect your individual choice, of course. Um, (laughs) But I want to point out, as I said, that we have a remarkable increase in life expectancy. Remarkable. But we tend to view when we should leave the labor market the same way we viewed this 100 years ago. And this is the part of the world, Europe, where we have 50% of the social welfare tax paid for 7% of the world population. So a small portion of the world is actually taking out 50% of the world tax-funded welfare concentrated here in Europe. And this is before we are starting to grow older. And if we still stop working at 60, 63 and live to be 100, I just want to point out that that is actually 37 years. Have you prepared yourself for that? What if you are to live to be 100? Have you prepared yourself for the days, the weeks, and months of 37 years without work? That's a long period. And I think that we should not tell ourselves that we cannot change that we cannot see the ability among people at the age of 75, 70, 68, that they could actually, if they want to, and if the incentives are right, to stay on longer. That's my answer. Because it's the working hours in the economy that form the foundation for our welfare funding. Everyone who has been a local municipality knows this. The funding of the hospitals, the funding of the daycare for children, the funding of of the elderly care is linked to the working hours in the economy. The more working hours, the more funds. The less working hours, less money and more money spent on giving uh, subsidies to people that is not working. So if you find a personal scheme, well, okay, that's that's your choice but your question was then how do we alter the educational system well we are now allowing longer up in in years people to start new educations actually with also access to student financing so we have started to move it up because we see in people that are 50 not the last few years before they leave but the start of a new career if if you actually at the age of 50 say I'm going and I'm 50 uh, so I tell myself I'm not preparing to leave I'm starting a second half and the mental difference is enormous for me and for potential employers if they find me and say well I, I'm thinking of doing you know two or three good years and then goodbye then we'll say well <laughs> maybe we should take someone younger but if I say, I'm, I'm ready to listen and learn and I want to start a career of 25 years, well, that might be something to invest in. So we need to alter our um, views on this and also let this have an impact on the education system.
0: Are you planning a career shift at this point?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I'm giving lectures. <laughs> very well. Yeah, it's very good. I might even end up being a teacher, who knows? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, Then why don't we find things made in Europe? Well, we are are absolutely finding things made in Europe. We had a reshape in the 70s onwards where a lot of the production made in Europe moved over to Asia. (coughs) We saw first the risk of Japan and after that China. When I look through our industrial base in, in Sweden, I've seen this in Germany, many other countries. Is actually yes, there was such a shift, but if it's going on any direction now, some of it has actually come back to Europe. Um, we have learned that through increased productivity. Now I use that word, automation and everything that has mentioned here. We can actually also have some of this production uh, in Europe. So I'm not saying it's lost. Um, but it needs, of course, to have a lot of added value to be able to compete. But the important uh, thing to say is, of course, that after production of goods, we are now more uh, in production of services. And I think that is a shift in the economy which is uh, natural and that we should uh, uh, enthusiastically um, uh, meet because this is the way for the future a lot of the jobs that will be created. So, again, don't think that we are coming close to the end, the last five jobs, because that is not actually the case. That is not what we see. What we see is that jobs are not the same as they used to be, and sometimes not in the same cities, not in the same industries, not in the same factories, but they are elsewhere. And with adjustments and with helping people to move on, we can get them into the new jobs instead of waiting for the old jobs to return, because they will not. Um, Then, southern Europe and immigration. Well, this is the main topic of Europe today. Um, I've been a member of the European Council for eight years, and the notion in in southern Europe is that there are a lot of people, especially now, coming, um, and that this is a burden and a cost. And you will find politicians in my country saying this as well. And of course, at the moment, we have the deepest crisis in the world that we have seen for 60 years when it comes to refugees. But I can never accept the notion that people are a burden and that we should share a burden uh, with different kind of quotas. These are people in distress, in traumatic situation, but these are capable individuals, seeking a better life and um, is it, if it's something we knew, uh, know in my country is that a lot of them are very capable very often well educated prepare for our labor market but it, maybe it will take them some time to adjust I think we should respect that and I want to point out one thing the year before 2015 that we have the highest refugee numbers coming into Sweden was 1992 <coughs> that was the years of the Balkan Wars you will not find well you will find a few idiots but uh, you will not find many people in Sweden that would complain saying that these people on the Balkans are a burden to the Swedish society, you will not hear that, why? because they are highly skilled, they are into the Swedish workforce the best integrated persons you probably will see in the Swedish society and this is just 1992 Today they are taxpayers. I've had some of them employed in the government offices of Sweden. They are fantastically skilled. So I'm just saying this is what Europe needs. A lot of able persons wanting a job. So we need to broaden the legal pathways into job for these people instead of trying to push them away and saying they are a burden, they should go somewhere else. Um, That is the mindset of most of the people in Sweden. And I think that kind of view on this creates an attraction. There is, as you know, uh, there is an explanation why a lot of the people coming wants to come to Sweden and Germany and Britain and a few other countries. Why? Because these are attractive, open societies that see the potential in these individuals. And I think we should never lose sight of that.
0: Okay, thanks. I think we've got time for two more questions. Yep. Uh, could we take the gentleman here, please?
3: Hi, my name is Kamir. I'm a journalist. Uh, you're managing the uh, uh, Swedish economy well and hijacking the, the, the Labour left this uh, subject as uh, we are uh, uh, only uh, uh, Labour Party in Sweden and the Arab Party. Yeah, right. Uh, but you lose the uh, election. After the UK election, uh, uh, Carbould made the tweet that economy works in the UK. Uh Uh, It's mean that economy didn't work in Sweden, for you or not.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay, the, uh, the guy in the very center, please. This will be the last question.
3: My name is David Ortan. I'm a student here um, at the LSE. Um, so what is your justification for the non-phased-out version of the income tax credit? Because it seems that it is encouraging more inequality and at the same time, it is uh, basically, um, well, creating or supporting Deficit, uh, I mean, you're not financing the deficit, you're, you're disc- decreasing the tax burden on the rich, which is not really, uh, well, what you want to do, I would say, nowadays. Thank you.
1: I would say that um, Sweden is now in a position where we have the strongest economy in Sweden probably for 40 years. Um, and I can say that because I've seen uh, governments of the left and governments of the center right reform my country since the beginning of the 90s. Going back in the 80s, we were described as a poor cousin, only, always troubled, always indebted, uh, not competitive. And we have now done reforms uh, in Sweden two and a half decades, and it has actually worked. So I would say that we have a highly competitive. Uh, economy with strong public finances and a very low uh, national debt. So how c- is it possible to lose an election in a country like that? <laughs> uh, well, I could tell you that elections are about problems. Um, uh, and Problems tend to go where you find things that you do not think is working as it should or you dislike. I won two elections, if I humbly enough could point that out, um, <laughs> uh, where the main focus were job and economy, and they felt that, well, they're well prepared, and they will make the economy and, uh, even stronger and create more jobs. By last elections, people felt, well, that is now done. Thank you. Very strong economy. The jobs are here. Why should we bother about that? Let's talk about the problems, the immigrants. Let us talk about welfare and welfare problems in our country. And I could um, very uh, openly say that with that profile in the election, it was tougher for my party and my coalition. And therefore, we had a shift. You should remember that out of the eight parties in the Swedish parliament, seven lost that election. Only one was the victor, that the xenophobic Sweden Democrats were the only winners in this election. And I fought that, and I will fight that All my life, uh, because I could never buy their values. Uh, So I'm not telling you, follow the winners. No, fight these winners. So, but that was the election of 2014. (coughs) So that was my explanation. Uh, I don't agree that the uh, earned income tax credit creates inequality. In another sense, that I've seen a description where people that do not have a job uh, comes after the ones who will actually get a job, which is partly my point. If you get a job, you should have better economy. The incentives should be right. And then I've been criticized by some saying, look, those who get a job is actually now better paid. So that creates an inequality between the ones who have a job and those are, that are without And I would say, yes, that's the point. But yes, that is an inequality. Then you said, no, this is directed to high-income earners. And I I would say that the big discussion in my country and also in my party was that we should not direct tax breaks to the richest. The earned income tax credit is interesting because it directs the tax cuts to low-income earners and the proportion is much higher for the low-income earners than for the ones who have better wages. Why do we then give it to everyone that are working? Well, all the working hours is the base for funding the welfare institutions, and if you introduce it just for low-income earners and then let it drop off, then you get new marginal effects into your economy. Because as life goes by, and if you get better jobs, if you then at the same time taper off uh, your earned income tax credit, you will find new marginal effects and new groups that do not find it worth to work. And that was where I started. You must find incentives for everyone in every part of their lives, uh, for, for men and for women, for young and for older, with clear incentives. When you work, work will pay. And that's why, why we did this construction. But it has clearly, I've looked, I followed very closely the Gini coefficient and the inequality figures of Sweden and even the expert professors, fantastic people,
2: yes,
1: (laughs) uh, that that looked into the effects that amazingly enough after the labor reforms, we do not see increased inequalities in the Swedish uh, economy. Amazingly enough. Why? Because... 350,000 people came from outside the labour market into the labour market and, and got a job. And therefore, we didn't get rising inequalities in the Swedish economy. And, to finalise it, we, um, we analysed our economy every year and looked at low-paid groups, especially old elderly, elderly pensioners, and gave them direct subsidies to balance the fact that we have been given tax breaks for the ones that were working. So to be balancing the risk of getting increased inequalities. So uh, you can also do that, especially for elderly, uh, older people that are, are uh, probably not going to work as much, as I would like them to, but um, yeah. So uh, it's a good question, but I would um, actually argue the other way around, based on the facts that we have shown in Sweden.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask you to do two things, uh, please. As is uh, conventional uh, for these lectures, I'm going to ask you to stay where you are whilst our speaker leaves the uh, theatre, which is an LSE policy. But uh, the second thing I'm going to do is to ask you to join me in giving very warm thanks uh, to our speaker for his uh, presentation and willingness to answer all questions. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.